You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to another Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Joe Hopkins here in studio and Mike Chappell joining us remotely, I'm Dave Griffiths. Glad to have you here. The Colts played a game on Sunday. Hey, we got some actual live NFL football, even if it is just the preseason to talk about. Some somehow, some way, we made it through the offseason, and now uh, it's uh, it's full steam ahead to hopefully early February, as uh, as thirty one other teams uh, across the league are are hoping uh, themselves as well. So um, we will we'll break down what we saw from that first preseason game. Got some updates out of Colts camp and Westfield to do. Uh, one I think particularly newsworthy note from around the NFL, uh, and we are going to start. Uh, just with some news uh, around the team this week, and that is that um, we'll, we'll start with the defensive line that Quiddy Payne and DeForest Buckner have returned to practice this week after missing at the end of last week, did not play in the preseason game. Uh, Quiddy Payne had an ankle injury uh, right before the, uh, the Panthers game uh, or the Panthers uh, practices. So, uh, Chap, I know we, we, we'd been saying uh, leading up to the Panthers practice that it, it's important to see, especially your rookies, go up against uh, somebody else. And Quiddy has looked good against uh, Colts offensive linemen, but just to, to throw a little wrinkle in there, throw a little change in there, see how you do, see how you react, see how you develop again. So uh, even though you would expect Quiddy to be a starter week one, I think most of us do, and the Colts released a depth chart indicating that's the case. And often starters don't get big play in the preseason. Quiddy might be an exception here, especially since he got uh, got the opportunity of last week taken from him with the injury that I would imagine we see a good deal of him, if not all that much to Forrest. We, we will see a good deal of Quiddy when it comes to this next preseason game. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I think Quiddy needs to play. I don't think DeForest Buckner does. I, I think he may play a little. I mean, let's keep in mind there was no preseason last year and DeForest Buckner was all pro. So, But no, Quiddy Payton, he needs to play. He, he to some, And again, this is the balance you have. How much? Some. It's kind of like with Jacob Eason. He he needs to play. He's going to be one. He's going to be your the catalyst of your pass rush. He needs to play, and he's looked really really good in training camp. Of course, you kind of sort of temper that by they're going against some tackles who haven't exactly distinguished themselves so far. So I think he needs to play. The question will be how much. Frank Reich did say today that they hope to play starter a lot of their starters at least this week. Maybe maybe next week as well. Uh, all, all starters aren't created equal, so we'll see. But Quiddy Payne needs to play. Yeah, Joe, I think this uh, second preseason game is going to turn into the the old third preseason game type of thing for teams around the league is if you play starters in the preseason, which some teams don't even, or there are some players that don't need any minutes in the preseason, like Chap mentioned at DeForest Buckner, probably doesn't we need much. We know what he can do. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's okay. He, he can sit, no worries. But uh, it, you'll probably gonna see a good good chunk of Quiddy Pay and whatever rookies are out there. And as, as Mike mentioned as well, also the quarterbacks, um, but but focusing on the defensive line, you'd expect to see Quiddy Pay and what he can do against a Vikings offensive line this weekend. Yeah, and if the Vikings play their starters, it'll be the exact draft pick uh, scenario of Christian Darisol versus Quiddy Pay. So we'll see how that turns out. That could be pretty interesting. Um, but I, I'm I was just stoked to see him back at practice on Tuesday because the way things have gone for the Colts so far, I was almost expecting him to be out five to twelve weeks. Glad that's not the yeah. case. Um, I'm excited about this player. I think he'll be really good, and he needs to be really good 
for an unproven Colts defensive line. How, how interesting would that be to see Quiddy Pay against Christian Darisol? He's the guy that I think when the Colts came on the clock, I expected them to take him. You probably expected them to take him. Yeah. I didn't, Mike. I I know you don't dive head first into uh, into all the uh, the pre draft stuff that Joe and I get a little bit more into. But at the same time, you knew that left tackle was 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 certainly a huge need for the Colts this offseason. So it, it it doesn't it doesn't justify yes or no. Like you're not going to determine if it was the right pick. Obviously this weekend, but I think it could go a long way to uh, to just I guess confirming that Quiddy Pay uh, is on the right track. If indeed he goes up against Darisaw and he has as good a day as he has had against some of the Colts players in the pre uh, in the in training camp so far. Yeah, I was a little surprised that they they, they didn't go left tackle there in the draft. But but ha- after having talked to some people after the draft, it really wasn't a coin flip. It wasn't. They had they had some concerns with uh, Darisaw, and and we'll see if they, if if they're proven right. You know, you you never really know until you know maybe a year or two down the road. But uh, they they when you take your first two picks and they're on pass rushers, with Dayo being the other one, and I don't think we're going to see him for the first half of the season. You you you've got to be right. You just you've got to be right, and for this defense to work. It's it's got to it's got to have a pass rush and yeah, Buckner in the middle is great. He, he he's an elite player, but you need the edge pass rush and that's what Quiddy Pay and we haven't talked about it much at all. But on the other end, Tyquan Lewis hasn't been practicing. Don't know exactly what that issue is, but uh, they they've got some promise on the ends. But Quiddy Pay's got to be the one that is basically a home run. On the other side of the ball, the offensive line needs to be in place to help prevent that pass rush, obviously. And the Colts' offensive line has been anything but in place this training camp so far. Uh, A sprinkling of good news that Frank Reich says he hopes to get Ryan Kelly back this week. Uh, He missed some time with a hyperextended elbow out there. He had the the big Barry Bonds brace on that arm for a couple days, Joe. Uh, But uh, Ryan Kelly, although he doesn't get the same hype, obviously, as a Quentin Nelson, Crucial to the line because he's the guy who's making the calls pre-snap. He's making sure everybody's in the right spot. So if you take out the guy in Ryan Kelly that uh, has uh, a couple years with Frank Reich, with the system, knows what he's looking at, knows what he should be looking at, um, like that, that's he's he is as important of a piece as anybody else on that offensive line. He's a pro bowler. Uh, so to to hear that. Indeed, it is a hyperextended elbow that he is coming back from. That nothing bad happened in the rehab process. That's just it's a it's a little bit of a sigh of relief. Yeah, and especially with you know the situation at left tackle, the Colts are going to need the rest of their offensive line to be as solid as possible, so they only have one hole to fill. Um, Kelly finally getting a little bit of recognition. I saw he made the NFL's top 100 player list. Uh, it's a list voted on by the players. Obviously, that list can. Is usually very funky every year. Uh, you look at it and you're like, these aren't what I would rank. But I, I do believe Kelly deserves to be on there. And it was kind of funny. I watched a clip and uh, Philip Rivers was talking about he was getting a little frustrated. He was like, he's out there making the calls before I can even get him out of my mouth. I'm trying to make calls out there and he's beating me to the punch. So um, just goes to show how smart Ryan Kelly is. Uh as well as a physically gifted player. I, I think, yeah, if you beat Uncle Phil to the punch at the line, you're doing pretty well. Chap, I mean, when you're looking at those top 100 lists, I think it's always interesting when guys who are centers and guards gets in, get in there because that it's not a glamour position, as you have talked about many times on this podcast, about you probably don't want to spend a top five, top ten pick on him in the draft. Well, Quentin Nelson has maybe proved you wrong over the past couple of years, but whenever NFL players look around and see 
see greatness at one position to get up into the top 100 like that that's really good recognition i think for ryan kelly that he has not just our respect but the respect of the guys he's going up against every sunday yeah and to put that in perspective anthony costanzo never got that recognition as far as the pro bowls and all that stuff so you you, to, to be recognized we can argue the merits of pro bowls they're almost popularity contests anymore some guys don't get it initially, and sometimes, and then once they do get it, they hang on a couple of years. But it's a good thing for him, and they need him back again. You're not going to have Eric Fisher. You might not have Quentin Nelson. I mean, we we don't know. And what we've seen is the backup center. There's such a drop off. There just is. Whether it's Joey Hunt, it would be Danny Pinner, and he's been out uh, with the foot injury. So it's. This is not – it's funny, we talked to uh, coordinator Marcus Brady the other day about left tackle, how it's still unsettled. You don't know. You know, non-Eric Fisher. And he said, well, it's, it's still early. We have time. Well, you know, it, it's not It's not early. He's given us coach speak, and he sort of smiled when he said it. You know, this is the point you really need to know who your guys are. And, and I, at left tackle, I don't think they do. So to get Ryan Kelly back, to keep the right side healthy, knock on wood, it's a good thing, but there's a very good chance you're going to go into that opener without your left tackle, without your left guard. And that's why you really need a Ryan Kelly to sort of keep that side together as much as he can. The Colts made their first roster cut of training camp, as all NFL teams did, down from 90 to 85. Uh, the names are none that uh, a regular NFL fan would recognize, ones that we barely even recognize, to be perfectly honest, uh, guys that uh are, are gone now i don't need to get into their names but anyway like i i think joe that can you pronounce the tight end's name i don't know <laughs> uh where is the tight end the first one graham at adamitis graham, graham. Gra- graham. yeah <laughs> graham uh graham adamitis but anyway um look looking at the list i mean like i said it's nobody's names and and joe i think right now most nfl teams could probably make a cut down to at least 65 you know of your 53 man mm-hmm. roster um, obviously teams want to keep some more in in case there are more injuries down the line uh, over the next two weeks of training camp before you really have to get down to 53. But um, And I think this, this, this goes for the Colts, too. Like I, I really think they could easily make a cut down to 65 right now and, and, and not get rid of anyone that we would think to be surprising. Do you agree with me on that? This is like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd agree with that, especially with so many teams not playing their main players during the preseason. You need someone to put out there. Right. Um, maybe there will be a few players that might have been cut down that surprise you over the next couple weeks and really play well, or a couple injuries happen and you need the depth there. But yeah, this isn't super noteworthy. I just thought I'd throw it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, it's 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 certainly noteworthy enough to, to warrant to mention. And perhaps more than a mention, the Oakland Raiders, not Oakland anymore, though, the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm still not used to saying that. And mm-hmm. I'm probably going to say San Diego Chargers at least two or three times this year. But anyway, <laughs> the Las Vegas Raiders announced this week they are going to require fans to show proof of vaccination at their home games. It was great. I saw a, a Los Angeles TV station. Uh, the, the headline was, show up with your vaccination card at Raiders games or you will be shot or something like that. Well, shot like a like oh, a vaccination yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that, part of it. You can get the vaccination shot and go right in, yes, right? Even yeah. though it takes two weeks. I'm yeah, not... that's that's what I read. Again, yeah, you can you can get shot up and, and head right into the game. <laughs> so those so they will be handing out shots uh, outside uh, outside. What is it? Is it Allegiant Stadium? There, it's 
think so. Uh, I think it is too. Uh, but anyway, it's the uh, the the spaceship of a stadium that they built over the last year or two in uh, in in Las Vegas. So um, they're the only team to announce it so far. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, like L.A. or New York teams follow suit. Um, I doubt that's happening here in Indiana, uh, just based on how things have gone over the past 18, 20 months. Maybe I shouldn't speculate on that because people who speculate in this have turned into uh, turned into eating their words down the line. But 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 nevertheless, it was it's something at least to throw in there that uh, the. I, I don't know, Mike, like there things could happen even down the road here. Like we're, we're, we're planning to open up at full throttle. The Colts are a, a full stadium at Lucas Oil. I know Jim Irsay has spoken several times, even recently, about how excited he is to see that place rocking once again at full capacity. And we're just hoping that that, that they can keep it that way, knock on wood, for the entire season. Yeah, and also the Saints, I think, were the first. Uh, they're going to require uh, vaccination or, oh, proof of a negative, or proof of a negative uh uh, test. Okay. Okay. I'm so, and, and again, we're, we're talking a month out, so I, I don't think there's going to be only two teams. I, I can see this thing transforming to where it's going to be more strict, because you know, unfortunately, all we've seen is is the 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 the, the, the spike going up on 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 the virus. So we'll see. But it it was good to see a crowd Sunday. I don't know what I, I didn't see. What, I can't remember what the announced crowd was. Twenty thousand, thirty thousand, whatever it was. But it was just like somebody mentioned. It was, it's just getting back to some semblance of normalcy. Hopefully, uh, Marion County officials will will not go the other route and in in restrict things again. But uh, Sunday was a nice step in the right direction. Sure, definitely, definitely good to see more fans there. I was not there. I was out at uh, the track. Because it was a busy weekend in Indianapolis sports, but I think I've caught up at least enough on the Colts Panthers game. But we'll get to that in a second. First of all, um, want to touch on the quarterback situation and not talking about the the Ellinger um, and and Eason back and forth, but but more Carson Wentz because Frank Reich came out this week uh, gave a just a slight update on, on Carson. Certainly, it's not a timetable anything like that yet. But um, but there there have been at least some words spoken, so we need to talk about what that means for the Colts right now. So um, and, and our friend Will Carroll, who who I've forgotten his name twice on this podcast, so I, I didn't forget it this time. But at injury expert on Twitter, Will Carroll did have a report this week that says that that the the noise out of either Colts camp or doctors' offices. He just said he couldn't burn his source, whatever it was. But it's good news on what happened with Carson Wentz's foot. So that's good. And I mean, and Mike, we've seen it, we've seen Carson out there with no boot, walking around, jogging around. Um, bending down, standing up. You know, he, he looks normal walking around. Of course, there's a big difference between walking around and playing an NFL football game. But um, let, let, let's run down exactly what, what Frank had to say this week. And it's kind of about what Carson needs to do to be back on the field and be kind of declared a starter once again. So you've heard it. Why don't you explain it? Well, they, they hit the two-week mark on the surgery on Monday. And, and in Tuesday, he, start, he started going through the walkthroughs. Which we, we kind of blow off as well. They're out there just kind of walking around. No, it's that Frank really treats these as, as very important. He uh, he always uh, he goes back to his days with the Colts with Peyton Manning, and he was a quarterback coach with Jim Caldwell. And Caldwell always used to say, you know, put yourself in the moment. You know, imagine this is a Super Bowl moment. You know, you're not going full speed once once you get to the line of scrimmage. But from the huddle to the line, you want you want there to be urgency. So he puts a lot of value in that. So it's it's, it's encouraging that he's doing that. I would assume, and you hate to assume too much, but I'm assuming that he's at least lobbing the football 
during the walkthrough, so he's probably getting some throwing in. But you know, the the next the next step's going to be, you know, how hard do you go? Because you know, Frank mentioned today that he's you really have to hold Wentz back because he's getting antsy to be out there. But it'll be he'll start doing some work, and then, like you said, put some pressure on the foot because just walking around, which is a great sign, it just simply is. We saw Quentin in a boot last week, uh, but Wentz has not had one. So it, it, it's all about getting him work, and then how does the foot respond? Because Frank mentioned uh, with both Wentz and, and Nelson that with this type of an injury, it's not going to be, boy, if you get back out there too soon, you're going to re-injure it. That's not the case. It's all going to be, once you're out there working, how much pain can you endure and, and work through? And with a quarterback, you can only imagine if you're going through your mechanics and it hurts when you do this, well, maybe you don't do this as detailed. Well, that's when you get into bad trouble. But he, he taught and, – and one thing Frank won't do, and I understand it totally – He's not putting, you know, a, a, a specific time frame down. You know, he, we expect him out there week one, week two. He's not doing that because about the time you do that and, and it doesn't happen, then we're going to criticize him. Well, you said he was going to be out there. But he, he said ideally uh, what the, 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 the September 12th game is would be six weeks, I believe, roughly from the surgery, six weeks minus a day from the surgery. Ideally – have wins in practice the practice after the third game it gives him it gives him two weeks of work maybe that first week it's it's not full go it's you ease him in and then the week before the game you're really gone because they really want him to be ready to go but you know he ideally two weeks it would work with one week I remember back uh was it two years ago with with uh, Brissette and he had the knee injury, and so he's going to probably miss the Miami game, if you remember, and Hoyer's going to start. Yet, they went the entire week with Brissett taking the snaps. And then came Friday, well, he's not ready, we'll go with Hoyer. And Hoyer wasn't ready, and it looked like he wasn't ready, and they, they lost a game that it just you know was really crucial. So they, they want Wentz to have as much time as possible, which is probably going to be two weeks. So, you know, and again, I, I, everything that they've done and said, it gives you the impression they think he's going to be ready for the opener, but they're simply not going to nail themselves into a corner like that and and, and put that out there. But every, everything's encouraging so far. Yeah, and we touched about that, and I touched on that last week, Joe, saying that when the, I think it was an Ian Rappaport report came out that the Colts are optimistic that he can make it out week one. I forget if it was Rappaport or Pellicero. Correct me if, if you remember. Maybe, no, it was more. It was yeah, more. It was more. Excuse me, it was Chris Mortensen. My bad. That's, that's when he was, he was trending, trending yeah, towards, he's towards trending being Trending toward ready. week one. Thanks, Mike. Uh, specifics right. are important in those reports, so thank you. <laughs> um, so and that's what I said. I said, like, if this comes out from Carson's, uh, camp, then, then that's just irresponsible because y- you don't want to set up this guy for failure when you're, you know, the, the, it was trending for week one. What happened then? So, um, but, but anyway, it, it, to, to hear and to see that it is progressing in that direction from Frank Reich, it should certainly be encouraging to Colts fans. And it, it does seem like we were kind of ramping up just the idea that this is going to be on certainly unquestionably on the earlier side of the five to 12 week rundown. Time yeah. Time. And, and I, I think it's smart of Frank Wright and the coaching staff to not rush him back too soon until he's really ready. I mean, that week one game against Seattle, 
even if Wentz was healthy, what, the Colts have a 50% chance of winning, something like that? And I'm not saying you don't try and win every game, but what I'm saying is it's better to make sure he's fully ready for week two against Rams or week three against, uh, who was it, Miami? Something like, I forget who's week three. But Tennessee. T- Tennessee's Tennessee. week three. Tennessee, and then, yeah, and then they get into Baltimore, Miami, and stuff like that. But it's better to make sure he's back and fully ready than to rush him out there and he's not ready and he looks bad in his first game with the Colts and it starts off on a bad taste and all of a sudden he's trying to rebound. They're going to do this the right way, and that might not be what fans want, which is week one. Hopefully it is, but I think they're going the right way about this. I think it'll be really – go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Well, yeah, I, I, and again, I think what's what's important to keep in mind, and we talked about earlier, is if if you trust what they're saying, it's not going to be that he's, that he's going to risk, you know, damaging the foot again. That that's it's not like if you go too quick on an ACL or an Achilles, you risk, you know, re-injuring it. Th- this will be a pain tolerance, and you know, is there swelling and all this? So, so it'll be, how does the foot react? That's where it's a little different. So maybe he, I don't, I don't want to say rush it because they're they're not going to rush it. But I think he can be ready quicker because you're not you're not you know risking injury further injury. Uh, but again, h- how does he how does he respond? How does the foot respond to heavy? You know, we're talking about a game 60, 65 snaps, and he's on that foot all the time. You know, you plant with your right, but you, but you land and do all all that with, with with your left. You can do some things to lessen his responsibilities as far as not putting in runs or, or whatever. But once you start playing, you play. You you, you, you know, the, the mind takes over and you and you, you, you don't think about, well, i got to protect my foot until your foot tells you I need some protection. So I think it's encouraging. And we're all going to be trying to get that week-to-week update from Frank. And he's going to look at us and say, you know, guys, guys. I mean, you know, but, but we have to ask it. But the whole thing is as long as there's no setbacks, as long as he doesn't get out there, Next week, you know, I don't know if we're going to see practice when he's out there or not throwing because once we get back, we've got two weeks or two two practices next week in Westfield. I don't know that we'll see him out there, and once they get back to Indy, I don't know how much we will see. We won't see much at all in in team stuff. So uh, we'll take their word for it. I know people are are a little gun shy about that, but I, I I do trust that Frank won't lie to us. He simply may not tell us everything we want to know, if that makes any sense. He is vague in the points where he uh, perfectly determines to be vague. You know? Correct. Yeah. It is not a mistake when uh, when he uses the words he does again. So, um, so yeah. Uh, more on Carson Wentz saga as, uh, as we get closer to the regular season, but I feel like we could talk the entire 60 minutes going back and forth in little details, but there, there's a lot else to talk about, especially since the Colts just got done with a preseason game. Defeated the Panthers 21-18 in a preseason opener. Uh, harsh reality for, for Joe's guy, Hot Rod, because uh, Eddie Pinheiro comes on, kicks the game-winning field goal. Uh, n- not really, because uh, Rodrigo hasn't hasn't missed a kick yet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's like those two guys, they keep going back and forth. And, Joe, you look at other teams across the NFL right now that have kickers that are missing multiple kicks, like we saw week one or the first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game. It was brutal watching kickers miss kick after kick on both sides, Pittsburgh and Dallas, like, I think there's a good chance that uh, when one of these Colts kickers is cut, probably Pinheiro, he'll land somewhere else. Heck, do we have some trade value here? Can we yeah, get a right, round pick or something? I wondered about that. I, how, how long can you wait? You know, maybe with a kicker because it, teams bring kickers in all the time. 
at the drop of a hat. But if you can get a, a seventh-round pick for a kicker, wouldn't you do it? I think you do. Uh, and when you say back and forth, if this was Hot Rod's job to lose, he's not done it. He's been strong. I tell you, I had to look twice on Pinheiro's 30-yarder. I thought he darn near pushed it out, which would have been brutal to finish 18-18. That would have been brutal. But if you if they can get a seventh-round pick for a kicker, that may be a stretch. I don't know. Because teams know you're gonna you're not gonna carry two kickers. You're just not. So wait you know, wait a week and bring a guy in and we've seen guys get up to speed, you know, Chase McLaughlin got up to speed real quick in in nineteen. But if you if somebody that doesn't want to have to get into a bidding war or or not not a major bidding war, but but looking for two or three teams that a, a kicker may want, give up a seventh round pick, I'd probably do it. I, not probably, I would do it. Yeah, the more I think Joe, the more Obviously, the more the team's expectations preseason, the more likely they would be willing to, to part with a little bit of something. If you're if you're thinking your ceiling's eight and eight, you're probably not going to part with a draft pick for a kicker. But if all of a sudden you're Tampa Bay and you need a kicker, if you're Kansas City and Harrison Butker goes down with an injury like that, there then somebody's a little bit more to to not try to compete with other teams for a guy, to not try to pick someone up off the scrap heap and see how they do, to go with a guy who's a little bit more proven of commodity like Pinheiro would be. Sure, and, you know, this is just an example. After the way the quarterbacks played, I think this is quieted down, but maybe trade him for another player that's expected to be cut, like Nick Foles, who we all think is going to be, you know, cut in a few weeks. Someone who the other team is also going to cut, so you just swap cut for cut. I'll tell you this, and kind of, um, piggybacking off of Mike's point that if it's if it's Hot Rod's job to lose, he hasn't lost it yet. We'll start our quarterback discussion about Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger with me saying, if it's Eason's job to lose, I don't think he's lost it yet. Ellinger has been good, and he led them on the game-winning drive. That's fantastic. But at the same time, Eason's coming out, and he's been pretty darn solid. Uh, Chap, correct me if, if you think I, anything's different, but I, I just can't see right now, based on what we saw in the first preseason game, obviously Ellinger's going to get his time with the starters this weekend. The Colts have announced that. He'll be the starting quarterback. Eason will come in later. But as of now, as impressive as Ellinger has been for a rookie sixth-round pick, Eason has done nothing to tell me that this job will not be his week one if, indeed, he has to trot out there with the starting unit. And he's had a very good week. Take going back to the end of last week, and then you had the, the game was a fifteen to twenty one, and there were probably two drops, three drops. I don't know, depending on how critical you want to be. But boy, he just put the ball where you wanted it. it, it he looked he looked like an NFL quarterback, as crazy as that sounds, because early in camp that wasn't the case. And then he came out Tuesday, and, and he was sharp, very sharp. Uh, so going for he I, he's the guy. He just is. And I think they're just simply doing their due diligence on making sure. And one thing to keep in mind Saturday against the Vikings is Ellinger's going to be out there with whatever starters play. It, it, Kelly's not going to play. But I, I'm guessing Glowinski and Smith will play. And whether J- Taylor plays, I wouldn't. I, you know, I, I want J- I want Taylor to get hit like twice and then sit down. But, but but he'll be out there against the Vikings starting uh, starting defense, which will be a great test. And when Easton goes out there in the third quarter, it'll be like it was you know, against Carolina, against really backups. So the, the the environment will favor a strong game from Easton just because. But I thought they both played well. 
and one thing that I've always thought is that the preseason is an ideal time for, for a player with Ellinger's skill set to shine. He's mobile. You know, he's out there he's out there with linemen who probably some of them aren't going to be here. So your 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 protection is going to be leaky, and that that really kind of accentuates his his mobility. He made I don't know was it four or five plays with his feet, including the two point conversion, and it's just tailor made for his kind of play. I mean, we can go back, Chad Kelly. I mean, we can go back to, to a lot of quarterbacks with mobility who who looked good, but then when you you know you put him in, in the the more structured setting, not so much. Uh, I think what they had to come out of this game, in my mind, saying whether they say it or not or knowing, is that if Wentz isn't ready, Easton is the guy, and he has to get the reps in practice. He has to get the reps until Wentz comes out. Easton needs to be the guy to get the bulk, the vast majority of the reps. If they start starters in the third preseason, it needs to be Easton. To a degree, if he's going to be your starter, you want to limit that. But they need to they need to know after this second preseason game, this is our depth chart. And I, I think they will. I think in their mind they kind of know, but they want to get one more look at Ellinger and they want to see how Eason, ha- you know, stack another game on on the, the opener. It's so easy to have knee-jerk reactions when a guy plays well. And then how, how do they come back and play the next game? Because this is a marathon type of thing, and you can't have a quarterback out there going up and down and up and down. And they want us to ease and sort of level things off and play at a high level. Yeah, Joe, what did you think about the quarterback play? I think there was a lot to be happy about with both guys. Um, the Ellinger had the pick. Um, Easton had the highest was the highest-graded quarterback at Pro Football Focus among all quarterbacks week one of the preseason. Um so, so how what did you take away from that first preseason game between those two? I thought Euston looked really good. I, the beautiful pass to Paris Campbell. Oh, it was, was gorgeous! Nice. That he first just drive, just boo, dropped, dropped it right in there. Exactly. Oh. That, that that was really nice, and he showed off the arm strength. Um, it, this happens with a, most young quarterbacks, but he, he needs to get rid of the ball a little quicker. Um, and there was a few times I remember. I think the fourth and one play. Uh, where he just held on to it and took the sack, where he could have just thrown it away and saved some yards, stuff like that. But that's to be expected with young quarterbacks. I thought Easton looked really good. Um, no major blemishes there. Uh, he did have the fumble, but his left tackle got whooped uh, and he got hit from behind, so it's hard to really place that on him too much. That was on Will Holden right there. And and again, like I, I've always talked about Will Holden in a very good light on this show because he came in the Packers game last year. They have a pretty darn good defensive end over there in um, Zadarius Smith. I believe is is his name, and uh, zero sacks that game uh, for for Smith. But uh, nevertheless, yeah, that 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 was not a good play, and no. it was not the best day for Colts left tackles in general. But sorry, I interrupted you. Continue. No, no you're fine. And then when I watched Ellinger, I thought uh, he got better as the game went on. You know, he started kind of rough with the pick, and that was almost like what can I get away with type deal. And then he kind of he, he had a few very nice touch passes where he kind of just put it where his guy could get it. Um, but you didn't see the zip on the ball that you saw with uh, Eason in his massive arm. Um, I did like his mobility. I mean, it was nice around the goal line. He'll, that's something he'll give you that Eason won't. But I think, like Mike said, when it comes to playing within the structure of the offense, it feels like Eason's a little head right now, as he should be. He's at least been with the team for a year longer, even though he hasn't 
it wasn't a normal year with COVID. Chap, I think one point at least somebody could make, and I think it's a reasonable point to discuss, is uh, maybe with the way the offensive line is at the start of the season, a mobile quarterback would be better than a statuesque quarterback. So maybe Ellinger has an up uh, has a leg up on Eason, obviously in that sense. If you're not going to have your starting left tackle, if Quentin Nelson has to miss a game or two, that quarterback back there, as we saw, if you're holding it on for just a bit too long, could be a really bad thing for your offense. And, and I think there is something to be said for that. But at the same time, I don't think you can you can start a quarterback over another quarterback strictly for that reason. If the other quarterback, and again here, they're using the Eason Ellinger example, if you cannot start Ellinger over Eason, assuming that Eason has really done everything to prove he deserves the job, deserves to hang on to it, he's just not as mobile. If you have an offensive line that's a little bit of a turnstile over there, that's on your offensive line. Your offensive line coach is to straighten out. You shouldn't be making a change at your starting quarterback based strictly on that criteria. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? What have you there? No, I agree. What an indictment of your offensive line if you're starting a guy who can run run away from pressure. Right. Uh, so, but I, I I think what puts the pressure on it is on Reich and the coordinator to game plan so that you, you we may see what what it, what amounts to a, a a sixth offensive lineman out there with Moali Cox or one of the tight ends stationed over there. You know, put your running back over there to chip. That's what they've done in the past when Costanza was out. They they find a way to, to compensate. I don't know that they did that much against the Panthers. I didn't go back and look at the tape that close. But I, I don't think they did that uh, in the opening. They had trouble at both tackles. Sam Teddy gave up a sack on the other side as well. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that – you know, and again, I'm a little surprised that Sam Tevy hasn't got much work at, at left tackle recently because they've – he started for Braden Smith at right tackle. So I thought maybe Sam Tevy, as much as they talked, I mean, whenever whenever Chris Ballard talked during the offseason, he always mentioned Sam Tevy first. Hardly ever mentioned Julian Davenport. And like you said, we thought Will Holden might be the, the most viable of all of them. But, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can – I think you're really doing a disservice to your offense if you run, if you put a quarterback out there who who is more, more capable – of avoiding the rush, you, you, you put Eason out there if he's the one. And, and again, maybe if, if Wentz is out there, you're still not 100% sure how mobile he's going to be initially. You, you, you play the best option at quarterback, and you compensate through your protections and put help over there, and you just have faith that that's going to be enough. Now, I'll just add quickly here, Ellen. There's a difference between mobile and a running quarterback. Ellinger's mobile, but the guy ran like a four eight. He's not. You're not going to be able to win the game on his legs, and he's outrunning people for a thirty forty yard touchdown very often. So it's nice that he can avoid the rush and get in there on like a two point conversion and things of that nature. But I agree with both of you guys. He's not that good at running that it's a reason to beat out Easton strictly because of it. How about how's Eric Fisher looking right now? I, I know that we've seen him, Chap, out at practice. Um, he's kind of off to the side doing his own thing. And so that's encouraging to see that he is kind of on the field and doing things, unlike a Dio Dangbo. He's not really doing anything a- at all just yet that's out for view- viewable to us on the practice field. So uh, we- we've talked all summer about the, the timeline and how exactly uh, what what would be a really fast comeback. And week one for, for Fisher, since he got injured in late January, would be a very, very quick comeback. It would be eight months 
um, from that uh, Achilles injury back there. I think it was in the AFC Championship game. So it, it it's what what he's doing is is encouraging, but he's not taking any significant like he's not taking any real reps against um, against other people. He's not getting really pushed back and getting that tested to be putting that much weight on his uh, Achilles. Obviously, I don't know what he's doing behind the scenes in the weight room and things like that, but um, they, they, you haven't taken enough steps forward with Fisher to really talk about his return, I think, just yet. We're getting close to it, but like, you know, I, I don't think that the uh, like week one or week two, it, right, right now it doesn't appear like anything like that would be on the table because I would expect to see maybe a little bit more of him if that were to be the case. Agree with me, disagree with me, or what have you seen from him out there? Yeah, the fact that we've seen him out there, and again, the naked eye and as amateur doctors, he looks fine. He's walking around. He's in, you know, he's he's in the, the shorts and t-shirt, walk around, and like you say, we don't see what he does behind the scenes. Now, one one thing as far as working in practice, he can't. He's not allowed to work in practice. He's he's on pup, so he's he's not going to be out there against other players. But it it's so different doing what you're doing with trainers and the rehab guys and then have a 300-pound DeForest Buckner or Pay putting some pressure on you. So th- that's one that where where I hate to use the word, but let's say they, they rush Wentz back a little bit. If, if that I, I don't like that word. There's got to be a better word for it. That he comes back quicker, that's not going to be the case with Eric Fisher. This, this was an Achilles, and this is where – Again, I think you get to a certain point to where injury, re-injury is not that much of a deal. I think Chris Ballard told us that in the offseason. But he he's the first. I, I thought these were normally 9 to 12 months. And Chris mentioned 8 months when we talked to him. And I think that the opener would be right at 8 months, I think. So that's that's right on the cusp of it. I, I just think they're, that they're approaching this that he won't be out there for the opener, maybe the first couple of games. That's why they've got to get this left tackle figured out, good or bad, whatever. Uh, the one thing to keep in mind on Eric Fisher is he's on pup right now. When when the rosters are cut to fifty three, they have to do something with him. And, and my expectations is you carry him on the fifty three, and then if it's going to be two or three weeks, then you probably IR him because uh, that's I think that's you miss three games. You can't IR a guy now because you do that and he's out for the season. So, and if you if you leave a guy on pup, I think that's six weeks. And they, I don't think they envision that. But again, it's by the naked eye, you're just impressed because it looks like he's doing some pretty good work out there. But it is just different doing that against air or against a, a normal size rehab guy, and then having a defensive lineman really stressing your Achilles and everything else. So I'm encouraged. But I'm I'm much more optimistic that Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson will be out there before Eric Fisher is. If you're looking at the deepest positions on this Colts roster, we talked this summer, Joe, about how we thought offensive line was pretty deep. Wide receiver didn't get the same play as the offensive or defensive line, but the more you go into camp, the more a couple guys down near the bottom of that five or six that you would expect to be on the roster are really putting forth some putting their best foot forward. And Mike Strawn is maybe on the top of that list. Your boy, Mike Strawn. <laughs> um, I heard, I saw uh, the 
Uh, I saw someone on Twitter call him Megastron instead of Megatron. <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 no, whoa, whoa. lean in. I love it. Joe loves it. And that's like, <laughs> I get that. Like, the preseason, the time for hype. So buy into it. It's cool. Like, to, to see him, like, it's looking at him out there, he is physically different than mm. other guys, especially if you put him up next to a T.Y. Hilton, who is, who is elite in his own right and has been for a decade in this league. But it's just, it's seeing him, you know he's a physical specimen, and he can do things that other receivers can't do because of that aspect of his body and his, uh, whatever, we'll just say his body. So like he's been good. Desmond Patman's been pretty good. It's really between those two guys that might be that last spot on the roster. And you only get 53. You wish you could keep all of them. But that's going to be, I think, a really difficult decision for Frank Reich at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think Strawn's going to be that fifth receiver. And then number six is going to have to play, you know, a lot of special teams if they go with six. Um, I think it might be Patman. And I thought, um, um, uh, what's it, Tarek Black, he mm. made that great one-handed yeah. catch as well in the uh, preseason game, led the team with 67 yards. Of course, he played with Ellinger at Texas, so they've kind of got that connection built in. But, yeah, I'm excited about Strawn. I, I mean, obviously, I don't think he's going to have, injuries aside, a massive impact in year one. But he has the physical tools to develop into the, one of these big, uh, maybe not Megatron, but like an Alshon Jeffrey, one of those guys who can body you out. And um, and he's been showing that in camp. I've seen several plays against even guys like Xavier Rhodes, where he kind of uses his body to create a shield and then plucking balls out of the air one-handed. We saw the great play in the preseason game where he used his size to go up and get it and got the ball at the various, very highest point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think he's looking really good. He did have, I know M- Mike didn't like that one drop uh, he had in there. It wasn't the easiest catch, but it's an NFL Correct. receiver. You need to catch that ball. And obviously as a rookie in seventh round, he still has improvements to make. But I'm really excited about this guy, and I think he could be a good player. Yeah, I, I, I think they keep six receivers because I think that's what Frank likes. The sixth guy I think is going to be Ashton Doolin. He's a special teams guy. They love special teams guys, a proven special teams guy. So I think that fifth spot's going to come down to Pat Mutter Strawn. And it just depends on what you like there. They both got the size. Strawn, the only question I had early on, I mean, in offseason, he hasn't played in a while. Was in his college, and they canceled the season, and he had to work out on his own. So he's kind of like Jacob Eason. He he hasn't played you know in quite a while, but you can't tell that by watching him. He's kind of stepped up quickly, but then Patman's been here before. I think he was active for one game last year, maybe with a target. I think, but either one, uh, they're going to be a depth guy because you would hope that your four starters above him, Hilton, Campbell, Pittman, and 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 Pascal will be the main guys. But you know, when's the last time your your top three or four guys have played all the games? You know, not often. But you like what I, I'm going to write about them either today or tomorrow. It, it's what you want are tough decisions at positions, and they're going to have that. They, bar, barring injuries in the next two two games or camp, they've got depth. Now, I, again, we've talked about this, and I I'm old school. I like to have a guy. I like to have a guy that if I had to have eight catches for 140, this guy can get it. I don't know if they've got that now, and, and I think if they do, it might be Pittman. He's looked really, really good, and he's got size as well. 
you know, we were talking to T.Y. Hilton the other day, and he loves the depth of this. And, you know, I mentioned to him, the one thing that you can't coach is size. Here, here's T.Y. at 5'10", and these other guys are like 6'4", 6'5". It's a different, it's a different body type they're going for. Uh, maybe maybe the, the approach to culture taking is, you know, the volume of, of players at the position will be enough. You know, maybe there's not a thousand yard receiver, but you've got a bunch of guys at seven, eight hundred, eight hundred yards, which is certainly possible. But I like this group so far. Go ahead, Joe. One thing I wanted to add, as far as the decision is, I'm sure long term potential might play into it. You know, Pascal's a free agent next year. Ty is a free agent next year. This isn't just a, you know, who's going to give it to us from one year. This is a who maybe might we be able to lean on next year and going forward as well. You also think about who you can who you might be able to get on your practice squad and who you might not be able to get on your practice yeah. squad. Like and, and that's certainly something that goes into the decision as and well. Strawn's getting attention. I saw Chad Johnson tweeting at uh, Michael yep. Strawn and he's getting attention out there. Yeah, I Yeah, and, and I need to go back and look at what the practice it's 16 players and the thing that they, the league allowed you to do last year which was really kind of cool is you could protect three or four every week. I, I thought I can't remember if it was three or four. Uh, so, like on Tuesday, you protected these three or four players on your practice squad, so nobody could come in and poach them. Well, the problem with that is Monday they could. So for one day, these guys are free agents, and you have to you have to be careful if you think either one of these guys, Strong or, or Patman, are are future future players. Well, for a day, they're 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 available to somebody else. And you have to really be careful how you do that because the last thing you want to do is to have a guy you really, really like and you expose him and he's gone. And then he goes and has a, a good career somewhere else. Again, those are good problems. And the issue is you can't, you can't, you know, you're not going to get rid of Zach Pascal. I saw somebody said, well, get rid of Pascal. You can't do that. That's ridiculous. I mean, come on. He'll be your leading receiver in November because he always is. But to have this kind of depth, not right now it's not elite depth it just isn't i've seen some of these surveys or polls where they have the colts receivers like bottom third of the league and i understand that because they lack that guy but uh it it's good to have these issues i again i just wish personally selfishly that they had that one guy that you kind of showcased but again they like the depth and they like the top the versatility because one area we haven't talked about a lot is that's to me is deficient is tight end. So maybe that uh, Paris Campbell serves a lot in, as, as a slot guy. They've been using T.Y. a lot in the slot. So they're going to, if these receivers stay healthy, there's going to be a lot for everyone to go around. I, I saw the, uh, the tweet about uh, Zach Pascal too. I think it was sent to our, to our friend Kevin Bowen with uh, 107 the five, the fan here. And uh, I think Kevin's reply was, there's about as much chance of me playing golf with Tiger Woods tomorrow as there is of the Colts cutting Zach Paschal. Because, again, Joe, Zach Paschal, as well as, like Mike said, he can come in and catch seven balls if he's the wide receiver, if you're a top receiver of the day. But he's also one of the best run-blocking wide receivers in the league, and the Colts are going to run the ball quite a bit. So he, he's not going anywhere. Sorry. No. If you want both Patman and uh, Patman and, and Strawn, you're going to have to release someone else besides yeah. Pascal. Same person? That's crazy. Uh, Pascal's going to lead the team in receiving yards in at least three or four games this he year. He might. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I agree. 
So, yeah, that's ridiculous. Anyway, any other takeaways from that preseason game one? Mike, you mentioned a tight end. I saw Kylan Granson had one or two catches. He looked he looked shifty out there. It's a matter of, yeah, a matter of him getting up to a point where he can he's he's a able blocking enough tight end so that he's at least adds a little bit of uh, multiplicity to your offense right now. That, that That's one other thing that, that I took away. Any notes from you as you were watching the game? Not really. I mean, Jack Doyle didn't play, and we know what Jack Doyle is, which is good, reliable. All, Nine all point the six yards you want. per catch, Jack Doyle. Uh, that, and that's what you. It, it, that's not a criticism. Every time we, it's not a criticism, it's a limitation. And Granson gives you more potential. That's why I keep coming back to the idea: if they can keep Paris Campbell healthy, he can do so much. Again, that was a great throw, but it's a great route. And that's what he gives you. He, he he can do so many things. I'd probably keep him away from those jet sweeps. You know, I, 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 if they call a jet sweep for him, and if I'm him, I my hands are in the air. I say no, thank you. I've done that before. But th- so that's going to somewhat change what you do tight end wise with that slot guy. But what what Granson can do, he he he's sort of like uh, was it Trey Burton last year where. Pretty good, but not really what you you expected more. But I think if you get got that kind of a season f- from Grants, and you'd be more than happy with it. Uh, Moali Cox, we'll see. I, 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 as much as I like what he's done and developed, I wonder if we've sort of reached his ceiling. M- maybe not, but I, 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 that's my gut reaction. So I, I still think that's the one area, offensively, that outside of tackles, that I think they'd like to improve on and. Keep in mind where I think there's another cut to five next Tuesday, I think. There's every possibility they find a tight end they like, and there's every real possibility that the backup tackle is not here yet. Joe, what did you see? Anything else in that game that you wanted to make a note of? No, other than that ridiculous taunting call that's gotten a lot of attention out there. But That was awful. That was look, awful. Look, look, okay, listen. <laughs> Listen, you're going to say you agree with it like you let, agree with the interception? Yeah, let me make the case. I, I, I'm not going to make the case that it should be a penalty. I'm going to make the case that it is a penalty based on how the rule is written. You cannot look at the guy and flex or taunt or whatever. If you're going to say anything, you need to get up, turn away, like turn run away. five yards away, and then do your piece. What if you like cover your eyes? That's the way the NFL is right now. So do I think it should be called a penalty? No. The NFL has been the no-fun league for a long, long time. But right now, if you're a coach in the NFL, you have that clip, and you point to it, and you show your players, they are going to call this every stinking time. If it happens during during the regular season, guys, you cannot be mad at the NFL. You just can't. Like, you can be upset that it's that it's written that way. You can't be but, mad at the ref. No, you can't be mad at the ref. Okay, you can be mad at the NFL. Fine. For making you you the cannot rule. be mad at the ref for calling it. That That's acceptable. You have they've, to, been to, they've been told to call it. Yes, they have. More specifically. and more. And, and you have to be upset at the player. You have if, if Paris Campbell does it during the regular season, it's a bonehead move. If Jack Doyle does it during the regular season, then pigs will start flying over Lucas Oil Stadium and it will be a bonehead move. <laughs> I would love to see Jack Doyle get called for a taunting flex, penalty. Flex over a guy, <laughs> Jack Doyle. Yeah, yeah. Spike it in his face. <laughs> That'd be great. But, but, but anyway, uh, to my point, like, I, get, I get why people are upset at it. You can't be upset at the refs. You have to be upset at the NFL. And you definitely have to be upset at the player that does it. I'm telling you. You can't just 
brush it away as a horrible call against our guy. No, your guy made a bonehead play to get up and flex in front of somebody like that. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And that's my piece. Okay. That's my piece. NFL, where you can hurt people physically but not emotionally. Exactly. No, no. And and that's Lee. You can say that. That's perfect, Joe. You can't hurt people's feelings. Can't do it. So, the Colts play the Vikings on Saturday in Minnesota. You can watch the game at 8 o'clock p.m. in central Indiana, broadcast on Fox 59. Join us at 7.30 for a half-hour pregame show, Blue Zone. We'll have somebody in Minnesota. I think I'm going to be back here in studio. I think our own Chris Woodlick is heading up there. That's the plan, at least right now. I believe that's what we're doing. Uh, But anyway... Uh, we will have boots on the ground. We will have boots in studio. Uh, looking forward to seeing Sam Ellinger make his first start, quote-unquote NFL start, since it's the preseason, and Jacob Eason will come in after. Uh, Joe, you asked a question, what does Ellinger have to do to take the job from Eason? We touched on this already a little bit earlier, but this is, I guess, a little bit more specific. I, I don't know if there's anything necessarily he can do to take the job. I think it's something Eason has to do, meaning he has to lose it somewhat for Ellinger to, to take the job. And and for Ellinger to be in the discussion, he still needs to keep performing as he has been. He needs to be efficient. He needs to not turn the ball over, which he did in, in week one, but he needs to lead impressive drives like he did in week one of the preseason. But ultimately, that's not going to be enough if Eason continues to deliver as he has been. Yeah, for it to be you know, a question, Ellinger would have to play lights out in the first half and Eason get in there and just stink it up. And then they'll you know, okay, game three maybe decides who starts or not. Um, I just thought both quarterbacks did a good job of not necessarily losing ground in the last preseason game, and it's going to be interesting to see who builds on it in this game. Well, and a reminder again, circumstances will favor Eason. They simply will. Because Eldridge is going to be out there with a patchwork offensive line against starters, and Eason won't be. So, So competition-wise, it'll be easier in the second half, and that's going to favor Eason. We'll also get our first in-game look likely at first-round pick Pay. As Mike said earlier, we anticipate a good bit from him. He needs to play. He needs the reps. We need to see what he does when the lights are on so that his first meaningful reps are not week one of the regular season. Joe? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your no, thought. Okay. I just One of the biggest competitions on this team is that second outside cornerback spot. And I was going to ask you guys, how hard is it to evaluate that in a preseason game where, like, Kirk Cousins probably isn't going to play, and I I doubt uh, Justin Jefferson plays. And how tough is it to kind of evaluate that? I think T.J. Carey did have that defensive breakdown that allowed for, like, a 50-yard pass to uh, Terrace Marshall. Uh, for the Panthers, but I, I just think it's kind of tough to evaluate cornerback when they're not going up against the best uh, passing as- aspects of the other offense. Alignment, assignment, technique. We'll start with that. If if you struggle in any one of those three areas, then you're not going to see the field all that much during the regular season. Mike, you can point anything else out, but that's the first thing that, that comes to my mind, is that you need to be in the right place at the start of the play. You need to know what you're doing during the play. And if the ball comes your way, even if the guy catches it, like you need to have your arm in his face. Uh, you, you need to at least look good if, it, if it's a, a rep that, that you lose. Because you're going to lose some reps at corner in the league. You mm-hmm. just are. Even if it's not Justin Jefferson out there, someone's going to make a play. Because other teams have guys like Mike Strawn who are working their way up to trying to be... <laughs> who are trying to be stars in this league, who have a lot of potential. So you need to be in the right place pre-snap. You need to do the right thing post-snap. And you need to at least put up a heck of a fight there if the ball comes your way chap anything else you want to add there 
No, I, I my gut still says it's going to be Xavier Rhodes and Rakusin as your outside starters, and, and unless they decide to put Kenny Moore out there as a starter, uh, they, they play so much nickel that you're going to play three corners a lot, and Kenny will move inside. I just think that right now it's going to be Rakusin. We've seen some decent days and some some rough spots, and that's what his career has been so far. Whether I think what we're going to see with, with Rakusin is. A, short, a, a much shorter leash this year. We saw it at the end of last year where they just had enough of it. But uh, that's that's uh, that's another area. What, what, what uh, TJ Carey and, and Marvell Tell both left the game with injuries, and that's a position that you just haven't got enough depth, proven depth, to absorb those kind of losses, and hopefully they'll get back sooner rather than later. TJ Carey, he, he was brought in to be the backup slot guy. So whenever he's outside, he's he's not quite as effective. But that's an that's a position, like Joe said, it really merits monitoring going forward. One other thing that I think I might be watching for: we've seen Sean Davis. That's the W. Sean with a W, the rookie Davis, uh, start to get on the field. He had a hamstring injury at the start of camp, but he has now been participating in in practice. I'd like to see what he does on the field. One thing, yeah, he did in Florida. He hit people hard. So does he flash? Uh, can you see him mix it up uh, down at the line of scrimmage? Um, is he going to get the opportunities to do that? Um, we talked about Kylan Granson a little bit earlier. So th- those those two guys I'd throwing, like to see. Uh, yeah. Throwing Marlon Mack, I thought he looked pretty solid in his first game action yep. back from the Achilles. I didn't notice any uh, steep decline in burst or anything like that. He didn't get a ton of work, but I- I'm going to keep my eye on him during this game and see how he looks back coming from the injury. Chap, are you looking for anything in particular that we haven't covered this weekend? I just want to see some competent play from the tackles. I really do, because I, I, you've got to have, you know, going forward, if Fisher and, and Braden Smith are going to be your guys long-term, I'm talking October on, you've got to have that bridge to uh, Eric Fisher, but then you need to have a, a viable swing tackle, and I don't think they know if they have one right now. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to seeing that and so much more as the Colts suit up for their second preseason game in Minnesota against the Vikings Saturday night. At 8 o'clock p.m., once again, broadcast in central Indiana on Fox 59. You can follow us online. Follow Mike's work specifically uh, on fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. On Twitter, we are at Colts Blue Zone for Colts news and notes throughout the week. Uh, Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. I'm Dave Griffiths. I am at Dave G underscore sports. Thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Please subscribe. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device whenever we drop. And we will see you next week. <laughs>